Hardigan goes, uh, Hardigan goes. Every time you say Hardigan, I think to Radigan, <laughs> to Radigan from the Great Mouse Detective. Yes, oh my I'm god. Ve- I'm very sorry. That was so random and specific, but to, I had to get it out. To Radigan, to Radigan, the world's greatest criminal mind. Yeah. We should cover that movie. We need to, yeah. That is an underrated movie. Flavisham. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, moving on. Sorry, I'm prolonging it. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we do not smell how angels ought to smell. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week, we are covering the 2005 neo-noir film, Sin City. What the fuck? Guys, welcome to birthday month. Oh, another birthday month. (laughs) Guys. As you guys know, the rules in birthday month, whoever's birthday month it is, that that person makes all of the film selections for that month, and the other person has no veto power. Four weeks of this. (laughs) But then you get to go. You're right, but, like, you came first, and I'm just, like, bitter. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, like, you're the older sibling, so you get to go first. And also, August comes before September, unfortunately. If you guys were around last year, you'll remember that we covered uh, Last Action Hero. Ugh. And uh, I kind of decided that for this month of August, I wanted to expose Ross to all of the really ridiculous and sometimes funny action thrillers that I enjoy. (laughs) You're exploiting my pain. I am. You're exploiting my pain and my outrage at these films. We are talking about movies that I loved when I was 15, 16, like at the peak of my cringe. Yeah, no, I literally have a note in here. Where is it? Oh, now I wrote, okay, now I'm getting why you love this shit. (laughs) Before we get started, you can go Go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to see how mad Carrie Ann makes me. <laughs> You know what? You know, it's like what mom says, do it without the attitude or don't do it at all. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just this. I've ne- I, oh, I know. She's like, hitting me with shit. Okay. You're not hitting me with all shit I've never seen before, but I'd never seen this one and it's how you wanted to start. And I'm like, mm, okay. Speaking of which, guys, trigger warning for everything. You name it, we've got it this week. I, I, oh. Sexual abuse, child abuse, violence against women, incredibly graphic gun and knife violence. Men who won't die. Some light cannibalism. Men who won't die. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, you want to just get to it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to talk about Sin City a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. been framed for murder and the cops are in on it open up police i'll be right out looking for nancy callahan as to the stage pilgrim she's just warming up made a terrible mistake we need to get out of here right this second 
was out of control. I followed him here to make sure he didn't hurt any of the girls. Us helpless little girls. It's time to prove to your friends that you're worth a damn. Sometimes that means dying. Sometimes it means killing a whole lot of people. city and you can find anything um so what is sin city carrie in its original form it, it was originally a graphic novel series by frank miller it ran from i think the early 90s to 2000 wow it is a series of tales with a common location it's this actual name of the city is Basin City, like B A S I N. Basin? Yeah, Basin. Like a title basin? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basin. Yeah, Basin. <laughs> Okay. So, but like they've just shortened it to Sin yeah, City. They, they've dropped the bot. <laughs> the bot. They've dropped the bot in Basin City. And like, if I had to describe Sin City to someone who had never seen it, I would say it's like a marriage of, you know, the old black and white film noir and just every ridiculous action film you've ever seen. The first thing to notice about this movie is that it's incredibly stylized, it's highly stylized. Oh, wait, I, I will say this beautifully composed film. Yeah. It's beautifully written. It's beautifully shot. Like, it, everything's so fluid because it is a graphic novel. Yeah. And the way they've been able to translate that to screen is wonderful. Robert Rodriguez wanted to stay as faithful to the source material as possible. So some of the most ridiculous shots in the movie, like, they're framed that way because they're panels from the graphic novels. And a lot of the actors wear a lot of facial prosthetics to make themselves look like the actual characters in the graphic novel. Oh, yeah. Like, Mickey Rourke, for instance, is irrecognizable. You know, it's also a Dimension film. It's funny that you bring up Dimension films, which is also responsible for uh, the Spy Kids movies. And Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Yes. <laughs> Most of this movie is shot on green screen. You're not fucking kidding. <laughs> Jesus. We're going to fly through We've Got Names this week because we have a cornucopia of misplaced talent with us here today. An ensemble cast. An ensemble? An ensemble. <laughs> Let's play a little game, you and I. Not Sure. Not with any real stakes, but j just for funsies. All right. I'm going to give you a name. I'm, I'm going to give you the character and the actor's name. And sure. The, and then you're going to give me the name of a thing they're in. Can't wait. <laughs> We're going to just a little movie word association game here. Sure, 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 sure. Playing Detective John Hardigan, we have Bruce Willis. Die Hard. I mean, that's it. <laughs> like, Die Hard, and he's in Pulp Fiction, but I fast-forwarded through all the Bruce Willis parts. No, yeah, because his story is the weakest. Like, yeah. The like, weakest story is always in the middle. He's also a staunch Republican. Like, Bruce, great screen time. You've had some great screen time, Bruce, but whatever. Playing Nancy Callahan today, we have Jessica Alba. She was with us when we did Valentine's Day. I literally don't know any other movies. No, I know, I know. Like, I, Jessica Alba is just not that special to me. No, it's fine. Like, she's but, like she's all right. She's hot, and she, she can do some good acting? I, I really don't know. <laughs> I, I can't vouch for her. I haven't seen her in enough shit. Anyway. Playing Rourke Jr. today, we have Nick Stahl. No idea. I know. I, the only other thing I've seen Nick Stahl in, and I, I know this joke comes back and back, the only other place I've seen Nick Stahl is on an episode of SVU. Uh-huh, yeah. It's it's the really crazy one with Stucky. Sure. The one where Stucky. Oh, 
Noah. Yeah, the one with Noel Fisher. Yeah. And Dale Stuckey. That shit's crazy. Yeah, that episode's absolutely nucking futs. Where the CSU guy turns wicked. Yeah. Ah, yeah, no. Mm mm. Playing private investigator Dwight McCarthy today, we have Clive Owen. Hey, Clive. (laughs) Hey, babe. What's the one movie you know him in? I don't actually know him from a lot of movies. I I know you don't, but I know there's at least one. What is it? He's in Elizabeth the Golden Age. Oh, God. He's Raleigh. Yes, he is. He's Walter Raleigh in Elizabeth the Golden Age. What? <laughs> wow, the, it's the facial hair. Uh-huh. Oh my God. I do know that he is soon to star in Ryan Murphy's season three of American Crime Story Impeachment as Bill Clinton. Uh, I'm excited for that. I hate it. Him and Edie Falco as the Clintons. I'm excited. Playing Gail today, we have Rosario Dawson. Rent. Yes. But like, these are the two movies I've seen Rosario Dawson in, so... You also might like Clerks 2. Like, that's a good one. Clerks 1 is a good movie. Sure. Playing Marv today, we have Mickey Rourke. Isn't he a pro wrestler? I'm actually not sure. I only know Mickey Rourke from one other thing, and it's Iron Man 2. He's the villain in Iron Man 2. And I remember when Iron Man 2 came out, and that was the first time I think I'd ever actually laid eyes on Mickey Rourke. Like the real Mickey Rourke? Because in this movie, he's made up for Jesus. Yeah. I thought that's what Mickey Rourke looked like. Because uh-uh. I'd never seen him in anything else. Playing Kevin today, we have Elijah Wood. Guys, it's Frodo. Yeah. It's Frodo, it's Frodo Baggins from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He has no lines in this movie. Not a one. And at the time, was one of the biggest stars in the world. The star of an internationally acclaimed fantasy trilogy. He has no lines. Playing Lucille today, we have Carla Gugino. Hey, babe! <laughs> Ingrid Cortez. Oh! From Spy Kids. From Spy Kids. Um, also, I just love Carla Gugino in <laughs> Not Jerry's Game. That's not what it's called. When she's in Gerald's Game. Like, yeah. she frightens me in that movie. Mm-hmm. Not, not only, I mean, it's whatever. But also her in Haunting of Hill House. Hill House is like my favorite horror thing ever. Is it really? I think it I think it might be. And she's just absolutely exquisite in we'll that. We'll have to talk about that dumb movie as well as the television show. Yeah. Playing the salesman, we have Josh Harnett. Hey, Josh. Um, <laughs> you're from Pearl Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> Back when you and uh, Ben Affleck were real yummy. <laughs> and um, I hate Ben Affleck, but like, I, I love Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor. I know, baby. Oh, anyway, hey, Josh, uh, it's nice to see you. Playing the customer, we have Marley Shelton. I have no idea. Oh, come on, bud. We just did a movie with her in it. Like two weeks ago, in fact. Is she Wendy fucking Peppercorn? She is. Oh my God. From the Sandlot. Yes. Wow. Have a lot of return people this week. Mm-hmm. Playing Jackie Boy, we have Benicio Del Toro. It, that is not Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the nose. It just turns him into a different person. It's fake. That's what makes him look like a different person. Well, okay. He's absolutely fake. A- again, another person. Who I after I saw them in Sin City, I didn't see a picture of them in real life forever. I was like, that's not Benicio del Toro. That's not what his nose looks like. Playing Minute today, we have uh Michael Clark Duncan. Okay. Obviously the Green Mile. Yeah. For the way the Green Mile traumatized me, I will never forgive Stephen King. <laughs> but 
Um, I thought it was hilarious when I clicked on to research Michael Clark Duncan. Do you know who he was romantically involved with for a time? No. Omarosa. What? Omarosa Manigault. Yes. What? Yes. That dirty MAGA head. Oh my God. They, they were domestic partners up until his premature death. Oh yeah. Rest Back in, in 2012, he had a heart attack. Rest in peach, man. Playing Miho today, deadly little Miho, we have Devin Aoki. And honestly, if you can come up with the one thing I know her from, I'll be impressed. I'm trying to think. And look at the internet. Yeah. (laughs) I don't recognize anything. She's in the Fast and Furious movies. I've never seen those movies. Okay, no. I knew you hadn't, but I just... It's been a long day (laughs) without you. uh, Paul, what's his name? (laughs) What is it? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) Poor Vin Diesel. I know. Anyway. Playing Becky today, we have Alexis Bledel. Alexis Bledel. I know her more from television than film. Of course you know, she's Rory Gilmore on The Gilmore Girls. How could I forget? And you know, guys, I've been watching The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. Through gritted teeth. Brutal television. (laughs) Brutal viewing. All right, two more honorable mentions and then we'll get this party started. Please! Playing Bob, we have Michael Madsen. Uh, Michael oh, Madsen. No. <laughs> Reservoir Docs. Also famous. Okay, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. So I, maybe I've told it on here before. I don't know. They had this big thing to honor John Travolta at this hotel in like, I don't know if it was LA or Las Vegas. I think it might have been Vegas. But like everyone who was ever affiliated with John Travolta was there. Oh, and so like, that includes the Tarantino Mafia. Yeah, the Tarantino Mafia was all there, piss drunk. Kathy Griffin is there. <laughs> Kathy Griffin is my favorite comedian. This is why you have this story. Yes, yes. I'm sure she she's told, told it in her act. Absolutely. <laughs> Somebody thought it'd be funny to sit Kathy Griffin, who was in Pulp Fiction for five seconds. <laughs> five seconds. Yeah. And she turns around, and Michael Madsen, drunk as a skunk, oh, no. gets in Kathy Griffin's ear and goes, I want to fuck you in every room. <laughs> Kathy goes, no, no, no. There's like 500 rooms in this hotel. (laughs) No. Not all night Madsen. Michael. (laughs) Your other honorable mention? Oh, okay. Yeah. Another rest in peach. Bless her soul. Playing Shelly today. We have Brittany Murphy. Guys. Hi, Brittany. Hi, babe. Rest your angel baby soul. Uh, I love Brittany Murphy in almost anything I see her in. You made me watch that fucked up film recently, Gone Girl. Is that what it's called? No, 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 no. Girl Gone. The Dead Girl. The Dead Girl. Sorry, <laughs> Gone Girl's another thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Or Girl Gone. I don't know. That's a Ben Affleck thing. The Dead Girl. I. Luann from King of the Hill. Yeah, we love Luann from King of the Hill. <laughs> and we love Girl Interrupted. She yes. was with us when we did Girl Interrupted. All right, that's about enough of the people. I would say so. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, again, trigger warning for lots of bad stuff. Like, this is a movie about bad guys sometimes doing good things. and already sweating with exhaustion. No, this movie is a lot. So we're going to spare you a lot of it because it's just too long. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Just just try to keep up here. Fans only. Fans only. Fans Fans of Sin City only. Going on. (laughs) What we're dealing with here narratively is four stories that were all originally published under the Sin City banner, right? Uh Uh-huh. 
And it tells some of them in parts. So I'm just going to be doing a little vanity card at the beginning of every segment, okay? Yeah. This first segment, the opening of the movie, is called The Customer is Always Right, part one. With the hottie. Yeah, no. This is this is, this is is Wendy Peppercorn. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't placing her. Yeah, no. Wendy Peppercorn, or Marley Shelton, is the customer. And she's out on this balcony in what looks like a rainstorm, but she's not getting wet. Yeah. And she's... <laughs> yeah. Like, the thing about this movie that I love is it's kind of like Pleasantville. Everything in the shot is black and white, except for one thing that they'll pick. Yeah, like something they're wearing or their eye color or something on their person. One thing will be colorized in a lot of the shots. And I just, I love that. And in this shot, it's her bright red dress. Of course it is. What else would it be? It's such a striking image. And (laughs) picture it. A stranger behind her, slowly approaching. This is a great opening line. I I really thought I was going to be like hella into this. Uh And then like, (laughs) as it got crazier and crazier, I was like, what the fuck? But like, this is a great opening line when he goes, She shivers in the wind like the last leaf on a dying tree. I let her hear my footsteps. She only goes stiff for a moment. And I went, ooh, okay. <laughs> I love it because the narration at times can be so, like, good. it could be so good and then other times it can be hilarious. Yeah, just hilariously awful. Case in point, I'll, I'll just rip the Band-Aid off. They get real close, start making out for no reason. And then while he's holding her close, he shoots her. I tell her, I love her. The silencer makes a whisper of the gunshot. Oh, he shot the bitch. (laughs) That's what I wrote. I I was like, I looked away for a second while I was watching. And I was like, okay, he's sweet talking her. Sounds nice. And then, bam, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) What is it you see in my eyes? I see crazy calm. (laughs) Bam. The wind rises electric. And I was like, what the fuck is this? No, this is where the narration starts out real serious and then gets hilarious. I hold her close until she's gone. I'm like, I hold her close until she's gone. I'll never know what she was running from. I'll cash her check in the morning. I'll cash her check in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, like, I, I love the title card because it zooms out away from there. And then you get, like, this bird's eye view of all the lights in the city, and it carves out Sin City. Oh, these opening credits, this music. I wrote, graphics doing well for 2005. Good job. Snaps for Dimension. <laughs> Snaps for Dimension. I, I wrote, okay, music. <laughs> that, that's also, Robert Rodriguez did the music and the cinematography. I know. What the hell? I love Robert Rodriguez because he's a lot of things that I like about Tarantino without being Tarantino. Indeed. Indeed. So that's the end of the first story. I literally wrote, okay, Frank, let's see what you can do. Yeah, no, for real. <laughs> The beginning of this next part is called The Yellow Bastard. Sure. Part one. 
Bruce Willis is here as Detective John Hardigan. He's two days from retirement. Aren't they always? No, it looks like his last day, right, or something. Yeah, he's a cop with an axe to grind and a pass to run from. He's getting ready to forcibly retire because he's got a bum ticker. A bum ticker? He's got a hot problem. Is this, I wrote, is this whole thing gonna just be men with sultry voices? Yes, it is! Yes, it, yes, is. it actually is. Just one hour to go. My last day on the job. Early retirement, not my idea. Doctor's orders, heart condition. Angina, he calls it. But like every other archetypal grizzly cop, he's got that one case he's got to close before he retires. Indeed, indeed. In this case, we're talking about an 11-year-old girl named Nancy Callahan who has been kidnapped by an infamous child serial killer. Okay, first of all, I wrote, not Michael Madsen. Oh, his partner? Yes. Partner Bob? And when Michael Madsen's character, Bob, when Bob says he's pushing 60, <laughs> I looked at Hardigan and I was like, no. <laughs> no fucking way. He looks pretty good for 60. I know and it. And being a cop. A nice scar, Bruce. Oh, that scar is so cool. I think that scar is cool. You don't have to. <laughs> I think a lot of things about this movie are really cool when they really shouldn't be. So he's going to go after this child and save her, right? And I love when Bob's talking to him, like partner to partner. Eileen's at home waiting for you. Think about Eileen. Hey, Bob. Maybe you are right. I'm glad to hear you're finally talking sense. Hell of a way to end a partnership. He's so hell-bent on saving this little girl that he's burnt every bridge. He's going rogue. He ends up punching Bob out because Bob wants to stop him from going after this guy. So now we have to save Nancy Callahan, age 11. Yeah, <laughs> Nancy Callahan, age 11. He's going into this kidnapping situation with no backup. And th this is the child, this child predator, this is the guy that will eventually become the yellow bastard. <laughs> I wrote, I can already tell I will not be following this well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. His name is Rourke Jr. Like, sure. That's just how we'll be referring to him. And he is the son of a senator, so he gets away with everything. As they do, as they do. All of his crimes. Everything just gets swept under the rug, witnesses paid off, disappear. And so Hardigan knows he's got to save this little girl. Before he gets to this warehouse where Nancy is being held, he has to take out the henchmen that are guarding the place. All with, like, an ulcer or whatever he's got going on internally. He's got angina. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like I thought it was hilarious watching Bruce Willis try to fight but at the same time have heart attacks. <laughs> like what? Just fight your way through the pain, Bruce. Just fight your way. Wait a minute. Is Nick Offerman one of those guys? Yes, he is. Oh my god. That was one of the reasons I was going to stop here. Bert Schlub is Nick Offerman. Yeah, I didn't notice to begin with, but I knew his name was on that list and I was like, I couldn't make out who he was. He's not he doesn't have any lines either, but guys, he's wearing a studded collar and a wallet chain. I could die. It's so fucking funny. We finally meet Rourke Jr., and uh, he is just as creepy as you would imagine him to be. Uh, yeah. Like, he just... Preying on little girls. The creepiest motherfucker to ever grace the screen. You must be awfully scared now. But you've got nothing to be scared of. All we're gonna do is have a nice little talk. Just a nice talk, just you and me. Don't you cry now. Hardigan busts in, 
guns blazing, blows the guards away, and Rourke grabs Nancy and takes her down to the dock. And Hardigan corners him on the dock. He's got nowhere to go. And this just gets so dramatic so fast because... He's got Nancy Callahan, age 11, in his hands. Yeah, yeah, and he's going to kill her. You can't do a goddamn thing to me, Hardigan. You know who I am. You know who my father is. You can't touch me, you piece of shit cop. Look at you. You can't even lift that cannon you're carrying. Sure I can. And he does. He blows his ear off. I love this because this comes back in a great way. He goes, I take his weapons away. Both of them. He blows off his right hand and his cherry tree. (laughs) Chops it right down, the branch and the berries. (laughs) When he drops Nancy Callahan. When he drops the girl, I went, oh no, Nancy Callahan, age 11, run! (laughs) And she doesn't run. She's just like half like climbing out of the way. And she watches this guy get his dick blown off. And then, uh uh-oh, Bob's back. The partner he punched out there at the beginning, he's back. And of course, he's on the side of the rich child molester. He shoots Hardigan in the back. Listen, I know that this is based on a black and white style noir graphic design. Are you about to complain about the blood? And I know, I know that it's supposed to be blood. But it looks like they're covered in bird shit. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck? What is all this white shit? And it took me like five minutes to be like, oh, it's fucking blood. Yeah, no. (laughs) Because I'm not, I don't, I have never read graphic novels. I've never been into that shit. And I'm like, why are they being covered in like, it looks like they've got gravy or like bird shit on them. That is the way. Oh, it's blood. That's the way it's drawn in the story. Yes, because that's how it's drawn in the book. Things go dark. I don't mind much. Getting sleepy. It's okay. She'll be safe. An old man dies. The little girl lives. Fair trade. Bye, Bruce. (laughs) End part one. And I'm like, okay, if that's all the Bruce Willis I'm getting, I'm fine. But like, no. No, I got big bad news for you. Yeah, I know. Okay. All right. So that ends, what, Yellow Bastard? That's the end of part one. Our third story today is called The Hard Goodbye. And I think... The longest one. Yeah, I think this is the fan favorite. I think it was the first installment of the Sin City series. Not Mickey Rourke. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The flagship character, Marv. The night is hot as hell. It's a lousy room and a lousy part of a lousy town. I'm staring at a goddess. She's telling me she wants me. I'm not going to waste one more second wondering how I've gotten so lucky. I want you. Marv is our new narrator. Uh, I'm not really sure what Marv does for a living. I literally wrote, this is going to be all questions, isn't it? (laughs) Marv is just a rough character. He's a tough guy who loves getting into trouble. He's flexible and speedy. And um, I think Frank Miller wants us to think he has some kind of personality disorder. You didn't think that? Well, like, like, here's the thing. He takes medicine that is prescribed by a psychiatrist to help regulate his violent tendencies. A psychiatrist? A licensed psychiatrist has time for Marv? <laughs> In a roundabout way, yes. All right. Regardless, he's big, he's bad, and he's dangerous. 
One night, Marv meets a beautiful young woman named Goldie. Beautiful. Beautiful. And she is into him. Uh, I guess. Goldie's got a mysterious past. She's like, all the women in this movie, apparently, all the women in this movie are like running from something. You know what I mean? She's in color. Yeah, she is like the only thing in these frames that are in color. And she's just... She's so pretty. Like, I I get it, Marv. I get it why Marv is, like, struck. Intoxicated Uh with Goldie. Yeah. She smells like angels ought to smell. The perfect woman. The goddess. They show us this scene where Marv and Goldie are having sex on this heart-shaped bed. It's so ridiculous. The fan that's blowing like they're on the main coast. I don't, I don't even. (laughs) And they fall asleep. And when Marv wakes up, Goldie is dead in bed next to him. And he didn't do it. Yeah. Someone was real quiet and just took Goldie out. Marv knows right away he's being framed because the cops have arrived. And it made me think of that moment from Clue. When Tim Curry's like, why should the police come? No one's called them. Yeah. Like, they show up without having been called. Like, if you're going to frame somebody, be better at it. Yeah, like... (laughs) (laughs) I don't take Marv for a sentimental guy, but there's just something about Goldie, man. He vows to avenge her death. Sure. And this is where the title comes from. He's talking in the narration about when he finds her killer, he's going to give him the hard goodbye. When I find out who did it... Quiet like it was with you. It'll be loud and nasty. My kind of kill. And when his eyes go dead, the hell I send him to will seem like heaven after what I've done to him. I love you, Goldie. Beautifully written. I know. Beautifully written. So now he's on the run from the cops. He goes to the apartment of his parole officer. Lucille, played by Carla Gugino. Stop it right now. Sorry. Sorry. We'll get to that in a second. She's the one who gives him these meds he has to take. Sure. Her girlfriend is a psychiatrist and has a script pad, so she just hands them out to him. Sure. Like they're candy. And um, guys, like Ross said... She's topless in this scene. She's actually topless for most of her screen time. And I just, I hope she was comfortable with that. I really do. I'm certainly comfortable I'm with it. I'm very comfortable with it. <laughs> I, I just... Let it hang out, Carla. Why did she have to be topless? I just, why didn't she have to be topless? I mean, come on. How the hell do you suppose I'm going to square this with the board? <laughs> there ain't no squaring it. Not this time. This isn't some barroom brawl. Or some creep with a gas can trying to torch someone. Oh, hey, hey, this is big. Settle down, Marv. Take another pill. Hey, there ain't no settling down. This is blood for blood and by the gallons. Marv is filling her in on the fact that he's been framed, and Lucille is not about his revenge streak. Because Marv is kind of dangerous, you know? He's a loose cannon. Yeah, and she's just giving him pills. And she's just giving him pills. He does not always have the best judgment. Like, she is appropriately concerned that he's gonna hurt the wrong person. And- Imagine that. The queer person being the voice of reason and everything. <laughs> I just... Oh my God. 
Marv goes back out to a place called Katie's, which is a dive where women dance on the bar. Katie's is another location that we see over and over again throughout the movie. We see other characters in this scene who show up later. Marv sits down to drink at Katie's, but it's not long before he's noticed by some hitmen who show up for him because he's a loose end now, right? Yeah, they need to tie him up. Like, they, the cops were supposed to arrest him, but he kicked the shit out of the cops. So now the hitmen are after him. Because everything's connected, folks. It's always all connected. There is no good and evil. It's all (laughs) evil. (laughs) It's all bad, folks. The cops, the bad guys, they're all the bad guys. The hitmen take him out into the alley, and they try to throw their balls around, and he fucks them up. Fucks them up bad. The way I busted out laughing, because he's trying to get information from these fuckers, right? Yeah, he's torturing them. Like, he busted a guy's face. He busted a brick wall with a guy's (laughs) face. The way I busted out laughing, when he's zooming around driving, (laughs) dragging some guy's face along the concrete as he's doing 80 miles an hour. I don't know about you, but I'm having a ball. (laughs) I got her a laugh. I had to pause the movie. I rewound it. I was like, it was just funny. Yeah, we just get this montage of Marv killing his way through lowlifes trying to figure out who ordered the hit on Goldie. During this time, we also see this woman following Marv who looks exactly like Goldie. It is. Like, it's all, it's, it's, it's also, the same actress. it's also Jamie King. Yeah. Like, she's not really dead or something. She's just following him as he trashes these guys. And the damnedest thing happens. For a second, I smell the angel smell that belonged to my Goldie. Just need my medicine is all. Bastard. You're gonna pay for what you did to me. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it in a second. Oh my god, shooting the priest. Yeah, he finally makes his way to this priest, who supposedly played a role in all this, who tells him that this conspiracy comes from the Rourke family. Remember Senator Rourke and his pedophile son? Yeah. Well, we're actually talking about Rourke Sr.'s brother here. Cardinal Rourke. See, guys? There is no good and evil. (laughs) It's just all evil. Yeah, I love that we just have this whole, you know, crime. I wouldn't call them a crime family because it's not like organized crime. I mean, it kind of is. It is organized crime because... They're like Irish mafia. Yeah, they've got like their people in like... All major branches. They got the people. The government, the church. There's the, probably people. There's probably Rourke people in law enforcement. You get the government, the church, and the street. You got it. Yeah. You'll rule the streets. This is when the Goldie doppelganger comes out of nowhere in a white convertible. See, this is where I wrote, what the fuck is Marv made of? <laughs> Goldie hits him with that car three times. <laughs> he goes flying and he's fine. Goldie. Like, she's not friendly, guys. <laughs> she has a pistol and a disregard for traffic laws. <laughs> she hits him three times. But Marv is just like, eh, I just forgot to take my medicine. I didn't just see my dead one-time lover in a car just now. I'm just hallucinating from a night of murder. Marv follows the lead from the priest to the Rourke farm. We're going to get into some real horrific shit here in a guys, few minutes. Guys, it's Baggins. Yeah, no, we get introduced to Elijah Wood's character. This character's name is 
Kevin. A mute serial killer supervillain. Like, I just, I can't believe Elijah Wood's in this movie. Maybe he just wanted to do some stunts. He has no lines. The character is mute. His job is to smile and be creepy and jump around. I'm not joking. He has these shots where you can't see his eyes because his glasses are lit up. Uh Uh-huh. And It's very anime. Elijah Wood does a really good job of creeping me the fuck out. Like, he's got these long nails and all these ninja moves, and he's absolutely silent when he moves. I go blind. Not a sound. Nobody's that quiet. Nobody except the one who snuck into that hotel room two nights ago. It was you, you bastard. You killed her. You killed Goldie. It was... Marv? gets, like, blinded and knocked out. Remember your your whole thing. What is Marv made of? Exactly. Kevin took Marv down. And this part is really rough. I need you all to right now stop what you're doing. Stop cleaning your kitchens. Stop cleaning out your inbox. I need you all to hold on to something. Okay. Okay? These are seriously some of the worst things I've ever had to say on this podcast. When Marv regains consciousness, he's in an actual dungeon of horrors. There are women's severed heads mounted on the walls like they're hunting trophies like the house elves in the house of black ah yeah isn't that fucked up it's so fucked up and guys lucille is also here she's next not a stitch of clothing on her body she's cowering in the corner of this dungeon and like mars like what the fuck where'd you come from and she's so traumatized son of a bitch kept smiling that damn smile made me watch suck the meat off my fingers. He made me watch. He made me watch! He eats people! He ate her hand! He made her watch him eat her hand! He ate Lucille's hand off! Russ! I cannot! I cannot! This is where Lucille informs Marv that Goldie was, in fact, a sex worker. Because remember, their tryst wasn't transactional in nature. Like, Marv and Goldie just got close and, you know, bedded down together that night. Indeed. So he had no idea, but it, it doesn't really change anything for him. No. It doesn't matter to him that she was a sex worker. He's still going to avenge her death. Oh, heart of gold, Marv. <laughs> Stop. Do not even right now. No, I'm not about to. I'm not about to. Because that's the thing. Marv is a bad guy. But, like, something about the fact that he's going to avenge this sex worker who no one else would have cared about, it makes me want to like him. All right. I know. I get it. (laughs) Marv gets Lucille and him out of the dungeon, I shit you not, by pulling the window out. He's the motherfucking Incredible Hulk up in this bitch. (laughs) Like, what is Marv made of? Even more absurd, when they get out onto the farm and they are ambushed by paramilitary police presence? What the hell? What what is going on in Sin City? No! Don't shoot! Please, listen to me. I'm his parole officer. He's unconscious and unarmed. So there's no need to kill him. They kill... Lucille. Why, I don't know. They, because she's a loose end. I guess. Yeah, you're right. She's a cop who... Well, she's not a cop. She's a parole officer. But she's part of the system. She knows the truth. And she knows the truth and she's not going to cooperate. So they perforate her. Yeah. It's really awful. Yeah. And Marv manages to kill like a dozen armed police officers with just a hatchet. <laughs> They're shooting at him. 
He can't miss every bullet! <laughs> Marv decides that if Goldie was a sex worker, then there are going to be people with answers in Old Town. This is all over the place. Yeah, no, yeah. We're going to a new part of the city again. Old Town is an area of the city where the sex workers run their own little kingdom. Like, they are the law in Old Town. And we'll get back to Old Town later, but Marv is just going around interrogating sex workers for all of five seconds before the Goldie Doppelganger comes out of nowhere and just shoots him. You can't be Goldie. Goldie's dead. And he wakes up tied to a chair. The doppelganger and her fellow sex workers are staring him in the face. Hit him again, uh, Wendy. Uh, uh, Harder. Uh, wait a minute, why did she call you Wendy? Because that's my name, you ape. Goldie was my sister. My twin sister. I guess she was the nice one. This is where we find out that the doppelganger is not actually Goldie but her identical twin sister, Wendy. Hey, Wendy, can I get a Frosty? <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds really good right now, doesn't it? It does. Do you see the sweat dripping down my face? I know, I, I know. Oh. I'm sick, you're big. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're both big. It's so hot in here. Remember, Marv is a big, huge, tough guy, and Wendy is just pistol whipping him over and over again asking where all of these missing sex workers are remember all of the decapitated heads in the dungeon yeah and since he's the big baddie he must be behind it right yeah wendy thinks he killed goldie it's a whole thing what i love is that this whole time that he's been taking it from them he's already undone his restraints yeah he's not throwing his weight around with them because he knows that they're just pissed and want to avenge their friend indeed and he pretty quickly forms an alliance with the women of Old Town to avenge Goldie's death. They set him up with a bunch of murder equipment. Sure. And Marv and Wendy go back to the Rourke farm because they got to get Kevin. They got to they gotta kill Kevin. Kill him for me, Marv. <laughs> kill him good. You love that, don't you? I did. I wrote it down. Yeah, Kevin can be eliminated. Like, I get that the fuck out of here. <laughs> to set all these razor wire traps for Kevin so when he jumps around he'll get caught and what he does is he eventually gets Kevin close enough to him that he handcuffs himself to Kevin. Yeah. So Kevin can't jump around out of his reach. And now Kevin's getting sliced and diced. Oh my god. Once again, I need you all to grab a handful of earth because this gets much worse. You know what? Turn off the episode. <laughs> you know, fast forward. This is particularly gruesome, so if you can't handle it, just, just tap that 15 second skip twice. Sure. I'm gonna keep this short. Okay. He does not kill Kevin. I know. But he... <laughs> I know he doesn't. He dismembers Kevin. He cuts his arms and legs off, ties him to a tree, and calls the dog, the dog that disposes of the body parts. Yeah. And Kevin... It's a wolf, by the way. Is it a wolf? It is a wolf. Oh, okay. He doesn't scream. Not even when the mutt's had its fill. Kevin's guts are lying all over the place. And somehow the bastard is still alive, still staring at me. Not even when I grab the saw and finish the job. He never screams. Just that grin he has on his face. I'm oh. like, that shit's now in my nightmares, Carrie Ann. <laughs> it's now in my nightmares. The only thing left to do on this list is kill Cardinal Rourke. Sure. And Marv manages to kill his way onto Rourke's compound with Kevin 
his severed head under his arm. There's a lot of severed heads in this movie. Yeah. He literally puts it down on the table in front of Rourke, and he's like, so I suppose you know why I'm here. Yeah. We don't have to talk about this weird-ass conversation where Rourke literally tries to justify his and Kevin's cannibalism. Sure, yeah, sure. He, he's in on the cannibalism! I mean, like... All of this We mess. knew that! Yeah, no, like, you feel like you knew that already, right? Yeah. But look, when you learn that's the ultimate answer, it just feels so much more senseless. The reason comes out that Marv was framed to cover up the murder of the dead sex workers. That's it! Marv kills him. It, it, I think that much is clear. Like, and it's just as gruesome as you would imagine. He literally squeezes his head until it pops. But then the cops get him, right? It's beautiful, Goldie. It's just like I promised, only better. And when his eyes go dead, the hell I sent him to must seem like heaven after what I've done to him. Oh my God. This goes about how you would expect it to. They put Marv in jail for the murder of Rourke, not just him, but also for the death of Lucille, even though the cops killed Lucille. Yeah, guys, Marv goes down and gets framed for everything. He's framed for all of the deaths of the missing sex workers, and on the night before he's executed, Wendy comes to see him in prison. I guess he's getting a last-second conjugal? Oh, God. She smells like angels ought to smell. Perfect woman. The goddess. Goldie. She says her name is Goldie. I feel bad. Well, I'm glad he got to have sex with Goldie one more time. Yeah, for real. Well, with it's her twin. It's Wendy, but like literally the identical version. But like she's letting him call her Goldie. That's weird. And like that shit's fucking weird. That's literally what he's thinking about when they throw the switch in the electric chair. And God, that's the end. That's the end of the hard goodbye. I wrote, I cannot take any of this seriously. <laughs> no, that's okay, because we're about to get, like, way more serious and less serious at the same time. No, there's another whole half of this movie, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there sure is. Listen, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it. I'm going to say I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Like, like, are those different things? It just made me angry. You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Like, it's a beautifully done film, but it's ridiculous. All right. The the title of this story is called The Clive B- Owen Can Have Me. <laughs> no. Not Dwight, but Clive <laughs> Owen specifically. This story is called The Big Fat Kill. Like most stories in the middle, this one is not my favorite, mostly because of Clive Owen. One of the characters we saw in Katie's previously was a waitress named Shelly. Remember Brittany Murphy? Uh Uh-huh. Brittany Murphy's here. Forget it, man. You can bang on that door all night if you want to. There is no way in hell I'm letting you in. I can't believe you're doing this to me, Shelly. Everything we've shared, it has to mean something to you. It meant plenty. Plenty of lost pay on account of how nobody wants to flirt with the waitress whose face is all purple and swollen up with bruises. Shelly's a nice girl, but she's got shit taste in men. Like, she's got an abusive ex-boyfriend and a new boyfriend who's just as violent, but not towards her. Benicio Del Toro's here. Yeah. Her ex-boyfriend is at the apartment door. He is known as Jackie Boy. Sure. And he's got his crew with him. He's a pus hole. He is. Jackie Boy is the fucking worst. Jackie Boy comes over to harass Shelly regularly because he thinks he owns her. He's like a gangster Snape. Like, I just... 
I, I, I can't. Snape has got a gun. Stop. <laughs> New boyfriend, Dwight McCarthy. Hey. Clive Owen. Hey, Clive. Not Dwight. Hey, Clive. Dwight is already in the apartment, and Dwight is a P.I., I think. I haven't read any of the other stories where Dwight is in them. Dwight lays down the law with Jackie Boy. Like, tells him to leave Shelly alone. Like, if you even think about her name, (laughs) I will fucking destroy you. Hi. I'm Shelly's new boyfriend that I'm out of my mind. You ever so much as talk to Shelly again, you even think her name, and I'll cut you in ways that'll make you useless to a woman. You're making a big mistake, man. A big mistake. And, like, Jackie Boy fucks off with his cronies. It's it's not worth the headache, but Dwight doesn't want them to get away. Like, he knows that... Oh, no, he's going after them. Yeah, he knows that they're wolf packing and they're going to hurt somebody bad because they, he stopped them from hurting Shelly. Listen, I don't feel a lot about Dwight, but he's just, he's trying to protect the sex workers of Old Town. Yeah. And I'm like, I do like him. I do like him, but like... You like him more than Marv. Yeah, I did. I do like him more than Marv. This whole last bit with Shelly is ridiculous before Dwight goes out after them. Dwight is out on the ledge of her building. Yeah. Waiting for Jackie Boy and his cronies to fuck off. And he's explaining to her that he's going after them. And he just... I don't know what floor Shelly's apartment is on, but it's not the first one. And he jumps off this ledge. Uh Uh-huh. No, don't go! Shelly shouts something I can't quite make out over the racket of a passing police copter. It sounds like stop, but I can't be sure. It's a chance I shouldn't be taking, but I can't just go home and forget about it and let Jackie Boy and his pals find their fun. They're a pack of predators, and they're out for blood tonight. A woman's blood. Yuck! I know! Dwight follows Jackie Boy and his gang to Old Town. Remember, the ladies are the law in Old Town. Literally. Those bitches run the street. Don't fuck with them. There's some hard, core, down-ass bitches in Old Town. No cops, no government, just deadly sex workers with guns. Like Wyoming in 1850-whatever the hell. I know! Or 1870, whatever the hell. Like, this is my least favorite story, but this is my favorite plot element. Yeah. Sex workers armed to the teeth. We are sex workers, and we are the law. Jackie Boy and his crew roll up on this sex worker named Becky. Alexis Bledel is here. What the fuck? I love, yeah, like, guys, everything's in black and white, but I love that they keep her eyes blue. Alexis Bledel has the most beautiful blue eyes. She sure does. She sure does. Oh, my God. She's almost mousy compared to these other women. Yeah. Like, she's very young and Bambi-eyed. Like, she she came in from, she had to come in from the Midwest because she drops her Gs. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Having. (laughs) Screwing. She has this meek, breathy little voice. Oh, sweetheart. I work the day shift, and it's been a long day. Besides, I don't do group jobs. Get in the car, baby. We'll just talk. It'll be nice. I don't do talk jobs either. Dwight is going to intervene before Jackie Boy can hurt her, but he's stopped by another sex worker named Gail. Hi, Gail. Hi, babe. This is Rosario Dawson. Yeah, we've seen Gail before. She was in the scene where Marv was being interrogated by the sex workers. Indeed. Gail is knucking futs, okay? Yeah, she is. She's not erratic, but she will not hesitate to kill you where you stand if you are in her way. Babe. And she, yeah, that's the thing. You're bad. It's hot. Yeah, exactly. And Rosario Dawson, just in this whole performance of hers is electric. So how's the barmaid? 
You know, the one that never shuts up. Not right now, Gail. Ooh. Wound up a little tight, aren't we? That's your whole problem, Dwight. You worry too much. That and your lousy taste in women. These days, anyway. Damn it, Gail. Not right now. Gail and Dwight used to be a thing, right? But, like, now he's with Shelly, and she's still bitter about it. I guess. Like, Gail's not worried about Jackie Boy. They don't need protection from Dwight. They're on top of Jackie Boy. Like, they've got their best girl on it. Miho. Okay. I hate that she's mute. I know. Miho doesn't like, have any lines. Like, here's the thing. Like, she, the character might not be mute, but, like, she just doesn't have any lines. Yeah. Like, it's specified with Kevin that he's mute. Uh-huh. But, like, with her, it's like, can we give her some lines? Like, like instead of just making her throw really weird throwing stars? Yeah. Like, I understand that ninja power that she's supposed to have or uh-huh. whatever, but, like, give her some lines. I understand <laughs> ninjas are supposed to be quiet, I but, wanna, like- I want to know about Like, Um, she's literally who they're calling on if shit goes down because she's that good. She's just waiting for Jackie Boy to make a wrong move. You want to see what I got? I've seen all shapes, all sizes. You've seen this one? Get in the car. Oh, sugar. You just got to done the dumbest thing in your whole life. Jackie Boy points a gun at Becky and Miho descends on this car. You just, oh, you just made the worst mistake of your entire life. She kills all of them. Like, I love, like, halfway through her demolishing their asses, fucking Jackie Boy, like, this isn't funny. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it is. This shit's hilarious. She cut off his hand, his gun firing hand. And he's like fumbling around on the ground for it. This, <laughs> this is, is not funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's hilarious. And then she cuts his head off. I love this narration. She doesn't quite chop his head off. She makes a Pez dispenser out of him. I love it. <laughs> Just like and just the way he's looking at him, like, oh fuck. <laughs> this is where this shit is kind of laughable. Like, no, yeah, but it's about to get real serious because Jackie Boy is actually Detective Rafferty, an undercover cop. Oh my God, he's Dwight's going through his pockets, right? And he pulls out this thing that looks like a wallet. There was a helicopter that kicked up such a racket, I couldn't quite make out what she said. I thought Shelly said stop. She said cop. Detective Lieutenant Jack Rafferty. Iron Jack, the papers call him. A goddamn hero cop. It's a police badge! Like, here's the thing, y'all. What did I say earlier? There is no good. There is no evil. They're all rapey and awful. Yeah, All those men in power. This is very, very bad because the whole reason the sex workers get to run their own show without pimps, without the mob, is because the law looks the other way and, like, gets free entertainment out of it. Huh. Like, the women get- I wonder where I've heard that before. Oh, cops being on the take? I don't know. The women get to kick the cops out of Old Town as long as they don't kill them. Now that's all going to be over. All of it. So Dwight's plan to keep the truce in place is to get a car, put all the bodies in it, and drive the car into the nearby tar pits. Sure. Dwight gets the car to the tar pits, and he's pushing it into the pits, going to destroy all this evidence, 
when Dwight runs afoul of a group of what I assume are IRA members. Yeah. What the, the IRAs here? They're mercenaries with Irish accents. Yeah. But like the IRA? (laughs) That's who the Sons of Anarchy boys were always running guns for was the IRA. Yeah. And speaking of Sons of Anarchy, one of the mercenaries is actually Tommy Flanagan. Yeah. Who played uh, Chibs on Sons of Anarchy. the Ah. The one with the deep scars in his face. Indeed. And they're here for Jackie Boy's body. They fuck Dwight up momentarily to take the body. And because most of the car is already in the pits, they just have to settle for Jackie Boy's head. So now Jackie Boy's head is like disarticulated and being carried around like a bowling ball. Indeed. Dwight's pretty convinced that the reason the mercenaries showed up is because someone ratted them out to the mob, meaning they have a mole in the ranks of the sex workers of Old Town. Oh, no! And they get in Dallas's car and follow the mercenaries who have the head. There's a car crash... And Tommy Flanagan grabs Jackie Boy's head and escapes into the sewer. Not for long. Oh, no. Tommy and Dwight have this intense little face-to-face down there where he's monologuing about how much he loves to blow people up. And, like, guys, if you spend too much time fucking talking (laughs) and not fucking doing... Story of my life. I know. He's so busy monologuing, he doesn't see Miho come up behind him, and she makes a shish kebab out of him. I love Dwight's narration. Deadly little Miho. You won't feel a thing unless she wants you to. She twists the blade. He feels it. <laughs> little Celtic shish kebab. She, like, twists that knife, and he's like, he feels it. <laughs> So while they've been dealing with Jackie Boy's body parts, the mob has kidnapped Gail. Not Gail. Yeah, they they're gonna kidnap get they've kidnapped Gail and they're gonna kill her unless they get the cop's head back. Tom Coffee, how could you? I know. Cut to the bad guy's hideout. And they've got Gail strapped to a chair. Okay. It's time to talk about Michael Clark Duncan's character. I'm not really sure what Minute's role is in the grand scheme of things. All I know for sure is he's got sub-boss energy. Like in a video game. Like, not the big baddie. No. But the big dude who guards the door. He's not King K. Rule. No. But he's definitely the big (laughs) queen bee that you have to fight. Yeah! (laughs) He's big. He's black. His right eye is just a gold ball. I love it. Like, he's a really bad dude, but he's really cool looking. He looks like Nkrumah. Yeah. Like, like. President Nkrumah uh-huh. of Ghana, anyway. And he's just touching Gale. I have in my notes over and over again, stop touching her, stop touching her, stop touching her. Only an artist should be allowed to touch such a beautiful subject. Your skin is perfect. Your nerves, responsive, beautiful. Just give them what they want, Gale. <sighs> Becky, it's over, Gail. There's no fighting them. This is where we learn that Becky is the rat. Remember adorable Rory Gilmore, the sex worker? Rory. uh, mm. She's the snitch. She's ratted them all out. And I just, I wrote, I love Alexis Bledel, but goddammit, girl, this is not your best work. It wasn't. Like, Like, she just, she gets in Gail's face and she's trying to justify why she snitched on them. They offered me what you couldn't never offer me. A way out. I had to watch out for my own neck. Your neck. Your precious, scrawny little neck. (laughs) 
Gail bites part of her neck, rips part of her throat out. Yeah. Like, and it's not even that big a deal. No. She's just like, what the hell? Like, she hit her or something. <laughs> like, she shoved her real hard in the side. What the hell? You could have thrown my throat out. Crazy fucking bitch. And I'm like, okay. So Manute orders the flunky with the swastika tattooed between his eyes Why? to kill her. And just as he's cocking the hammer on this gun, Miho fires a steel arrow through the window into his chest. And this is the ca- this is the biggest case of not being McReady I think we've ever seen. Hey. Hey. Nobody. I don't see nobody. Hey, will you look at that? It's right through me. Guys, look. There's some right to ride it. There's a note on the end of this arrow. It says, cop's head for the women, out back. And, like, they're out in the alley, and Dwight is standing at the mouth of the alley with Jackie Boy's head, and it's got duct tape over its mouth all of a sudden. Indeed. Because what he's done is he's stuffed explosives in Jackie Boy's mouth. Of course. What he does is he gets a safe handoff. He gets Gale, he gives the head back to the mob, and then remotely blows it up. So he saves Gale and destroys this evidence. And also, Deus a sex workers. Oh my god, okay, this this is the greatest. Because to the bad guy's horror, there are dozens of sex workers armed with Uzis standing on the rooftops over their heads. Where the fight counts for a lot. You trick McCarthy, but it will do you no good. But there's nothing like having your friend show up with lots of guns. No! McCarthy, you shit! The girls all know the score. No escape. No surrender. No mercy. Gail is firing that Uzi and laughing like she's on a carnival ride. I did write just sex workers vibing and killing men together. Oh like, my god! They're just shooting them all in the alley. Oh, it's just shooting them all from above. It's great. And that's the end. That's the end of that one. That's the end of the big fat kill. Can we just end the movie? <laughs> no. Can, please, can we can we stop? Can you believe there's 40 minutes left in this movie? You're gonna make him turn us off. <laughs> You understand that, right? No, 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 no. Here's the thing, guys. We do have about 40 minutes left in the movie, but we are going to fly through it relatively Because it already happened? No, yeah. That's what's infuriating about this movie is like the last 20 minutes of this movie are basically the first 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah. So (laughs) we're going to get through it. This part is called The Yellow Bastard Part 2. Um, hi, Bruce! Yeah! Bruce is alive. Well, it's Hardigan. It's Detective Hardigan. We thought Detective Hardigan died on the docks that day, saving Nancy Callahan, age Nancy, o- Nancy Callahan, age 11. Yeah. Well, he didn't die that night that he saved Nancy. He wakes up in a hospital bed with an angry senator in his face. Sure. Senator Rourke. The Commissioner Gordon-looking motherfucker. The father of the horrible pedophile. And the brother of the cardinal. Yeah. You blew my son's ear off. Blew his arm off. You even blew his nuts and his pecker off. He's in a coma right now. They say he may never come out of it. My boy. He could have been the first rock to become the president of the United States, but you and turned him into a brain-damaged, dickless freak. 
He's upset because Hardigan shot his son's dick and balls off. Yes. I feel nothing. No. That's what I have in my notes. I don't. He shot his dick and balls off. I feel nothing. Absolutely not. They were weapons. The senator very calmly explains to Hardigan that he's going to personally make sure that Hardigan goes down for raping Nancy Callahan, age 11, and for mutilating Rourke Jr., They've threatened everybody. No one's allowed to tell the truth. And if Hardigan tells the truth, they'll kill everyone he cares about. But this doesn't... Fuck. I know. What a position to be in. But this doesn't scare little Nancy, does it? No. Like, Nancy, bless her little soul, she continues to write to Hardigan once he's in prison. Writes to him every week for years and years. And she always signs her letters Cordelia. So that no one knows who she is, right? Oh, God. Yeah. And then it's the kind of thing that keeps him going for a while while he's in prison is having... Yuck. I know, I know. This friendship with this little girl by mail. Like, it's... Listen, I get that people in prison are people and they need human contact and friendship. They deserve it, yeah. But, um... There's something about Hardigan's obsession with Nancy. It's not wholesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not calling him a child molester. I'm saying that by the time he meets Nancy as an adult, these feelings that he's cultivated over years of communicating through letters is weird and advanced. Uh-huh. And like one day, the letters just stop coming. Stupid old man. Do your math. Nancy's 19 years old. How long did you expect her to keep writing? She was a saint to keep it up as long as she did. She's forgotten you, old man. You're alone. You're all alone. This is where we meet the yellow bastard, officially. Yeah, guys, there's like an alien. Like, I don't know. It's not an alien. It looks like an alien. (laughs) Hardigan wakes up in his cell one day to find this guy sitting in the cell with him. He's bald. He's His skin is a deep yellow. He looks like a jaundice noid. I'm like, he's just... <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know how else to describe oh it. Oh, my God! Just, like, without the ears. Like, I don't know. And he apparently smells like ass. <laughs> this guy smells awful. Like bad food. Like a corpse left in a garbage dumpster in the middle of summer. He stinks so bad I want to throw up. Practically knocked my head off the bastard. This guy doesn't say anything, just punches his lights out. He's in my nightmares, Carrie. I know! It's gonna get so much worse before the end, bud! This is Rourke. This is Rourke Jr. Like, we don't know that yet, but this- This is the guy whose dick and balls he shot off. Yeah, this is what he's become. Do you see what being a rapist does to you folks? Yeah, for real. You look like a jaundiced noid by the time it's all said and done. After Hardigan shot his dick and balls off, Daddy Senator, like, put all of this money into research so they could literally regrow his junk. Oh my god! And that's what has made him yellow and bald and disgusting. What's the fucking point? He was disgusting before, but now he's extra disgusting. When I come to, I see it. The same kind of envelope Nancy always uses. But there's no letter inside of it. Something soft. Something that ought to be alive. A hunk of meat and bone that ought to be the index finger of the right hand of a 19-year-old girl. So Hardigan's panicking. He thinks that they've found Nancy after all these years. Oh, Bruce. And in order to be paroled, Hardigan feigns remorse for raping Nancy and for disfiguring Rourke Jr. And he gets out. 
he's finally paroled. Because I guess that's the thing. If you don't express remorse for your crime, you can't be paroled. Which mm. I'm just like, if you're wrongfully convicted, how does that work? Like Stephen Avery. Yeah. He watched mur- actual murderers walk out of prison. What the fuck? And of course he's not going to admit his guilt because he's not guilty. He didn't do it, guys. Like he didn't do it. He didn't. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> He goes to the address where uh, Cordelia's letters, bleh. He goes to the address that is on, he goes to the address that, uh, he goes to, I'm so sorry. What's the, what's the note? I don't know why I'm having trouble with this. He goes to the return address on all of uh, Nancy's letters, right? Uh He's looking for clues. Sure. And he finds a matchbook from Katie's. And decides to go and decides to go there and see if anybody there knows Nancy. Because uh-huh. remember, he doesn't know anything about Nancy's life. He she hasn't told him anything about being an exotic dancer or anything like that. Oh, he, he's going to Old Town. Yeah, he's going to Old he's Town. going to Old Town to Katie's. He goes in and the first person he sees is Shelly. Yeah, with a tray of drinks. Excuse me, Miss. Wondering if you could help me looking for somebody. Cold night like this, everybody's looking for somebody stranger. It's not like that. It is Nancy. As to the stage, Pilgrim. She's just a woman. It's so creepy. The way he looks up at her and goes, Skinny little Nancy Callahan. She grew up. She filled out. Nancy Callahan, 19 years old. Supposed to be like your daughter, and aren't you like given the given the movie math? You were pushing sixty to begin with. Yeah, and it's been how old are you now? Pushing seventy, right? You know, and like she's nineteen years old. Sure, and like, but he realizes pretty quickly that she's got all her fingers. Uh oh. Yeah, whose finger did he get? He realizes that this has all been a plan to lead the bad guys to Nancy. They didn't know where she was before, but now they do because someone's been following him. Indeed. And he's like, okay, I got to get out of here before she recognizes me. But guys, she recognizes him. Indeed, yes. And like, she just, she is every bit as obsessed with him as he is with her. Ah! Sorry. It's really weird, man. Like he, his affection for her has obviously mutated. It's weird. And it's weird. She's grown up with him being like this Electra dad figure. Prison dad. Yeah, prison dad. Where Yuck. She, my, my dad's in prison, but I'm also in love with him kind of thing. And like, because it's so friggin' weird, we're going to kind of slide through this next part because it's weird and uncomfortable. Like, there's a car chase. There's some peril. But the only thing that really matters here over the next couple of minutes is how weird their relationship gets like they're sitting on the couch in her apartment talking about how you know her letters got him through all those years in prison and she just starts confessing her love for him eight years why do you think i kept writing you those letters it wasn't just gratitude i tried to fall in love with boys and like now Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba are actually making out on this couch. No. It's so weird. No. And even he thinks it's weird. He's <laughs> oh my god, Hardigan 
jumps up off the couch and he goes, Nancy Callahan, age 11, no. <laughs> there's wrong and there's wrong and then there's this. For God's sake, she's just a kid. I love you. happening is that Rourke Jr. finds out where Nancy lives. He follows them there with his goons and he kidnaps Nancy and takes her to the Rourke farm. Remember the Rourke farm where all those sex workers died? And Frodo was murdered. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck? And like like I said, what's really infuriating about the last 15 or 20 minutes of this movie is they're pretty much the same as the first 15 minutes, right down to the dialogue in some spot. This is some particularly horrific shit, so let's get through this together. I am burnt as a damn biscuit. I know, it's so hot in here. Come on. Rourke Jr. is torturing Nancy in the barn. Like, apparently this scene was a lot longer But Robert Rodriguez was like, listen, we got to cut this. Like, this is in bad taste even for Sin City. Indeed. I'm not even going to play you any of his dialogue from it because he's he's just being so foul and nasty. Yeah. It's so horrific. He's not wearing a shirt. He's got the most offensive body. It's only offensive to me because I know he molests children and rapes children. No, it's offensive for more than that reason. This scene is so visceral. I miss Clive Owen. I know. I I hate that. (laughs) You miss looking at Clive Owen. Yeah. I would really not like to look at this guy anymore. Hell, I miss looking at Mickey Rourke at this point. And so Hardigan busts into the barn. He's taken out all the guards. Hardigan is going to shoot the big yellow bastard. This is just like the scene where he caught him on the dock. Yeah. Give it up, Junior. It's over. Let her go. You're dreaming, Hardigan. I get to see your eyes while I fillet the woman of your dreams right in front of you. Look at you. You're about to kill over. You can't even lift that cannon. Sure I can. he doesn't. No, not this time. He goes down. He's like, he's having another heart attack. Yeah. And it's, this looks really bleak. The big yellow bastard picks up the scariest looking knife I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? I can't believe knives like that even exist. It's gotta be a hunting knife. It's got that real scary edge on it. Stop talking about the knife and get to it. (laughs) We're so close I could taste it. I know, I know. Rourke Jr.'s about to cut his head off. And Hardigan stabs him. It's gonna hurt. You're right about that. <sighs> Sucker. He faked him out. He faked a heart attack so he'd get close to him. Amazing. And this is my favorite part of the whole movie because it's a callback to those earlier lines. They take away his weapon. Both of them. his artificial dick and balls off of him. Amazing. It stretches like taffy. It's so gross. And then he just pounds that guy into the pavement. You ever have saltwater taffy? Oh, wait, yeah. No. It's all wrapped up. I've had that. Yeah, isn't it nice and chewy and fluid? But Uh, then whenever you eat a Laffy Taffy, it's a rock. I know. Fuck you, Laffy Taffy. (laughs) Like, why the fuck is your taffy just little pebbles in paper? I'm glad you can think about Laffy Taffy at a time like this. I have to, bitch. 
I have to. You don't want to think about that, You're guys. You're talking about pulling the dick off a of jaundice noid. <laughs> what is this movie? <laughs> Get to it. All right, we're almost done. We're almost done. You lie. <laughs> you talk about other shit. Anyway. Hardigan and Nancy are like walking off together into the sunset, kind of. Nancy's got her sights set on the future. She thinks they're going to live happily ever after together. I cannot believe there's more conflict left. I know. Like, she, he is telling her that he is going to put Senator Rourke behind bars. Don't talk about it out loud or it won't happen. I know, right? I remember seeing this for the first time and I'm like, oh, he's got a lot of plans. That's not good. And like he puts her in this bright red Ferrari and sends her off into the night. And as soon as she's out of the earshot, he's like, LOL, JK. (laughs) He's like, I'm never going to get that guy behind bars. No. He's a corrupt politician. He'll go after me through Nancy. He'll find her again. There'll be no end to it. She'll never be safe. Not as long as I'm alive. There's only one way to beat him. An old man dies. A young woman lives. Fair trade. I love you, Nancy. And then he takes his own life so that Nancy will be safe. Good on ya! Like, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, Nancy didn't ask for any of this. Can you imagine if this movie ended here? Like, Yes! You know yes, what? I can! As soon as the question... I'm in hell! I'm sorry. I love you. Happy birthday. As soon as the question... <laughs> as soon as that question was out of my mouth, I was like, of course you can imagine it yes, ending here. I can imagine it ending here. But we've got this little stinger on the end. You're right. You're right. This is called The Customer is Always Right Part 2. Or Act 6 or whatever this is. Yeah. Remember Josh Harnett, the salesman. Hey, babe. He killed He killed Wendy Peppercorn in the first five minutes of the movie. Well, now he's in an elevator, and guess who's getting in the elevator? Oh, my God. Becky's being treated for the injuries she sustained during that gunfight. Yeah, the huge chunk out of her neck and the bullet wounds and all that good stuff. She's the one who ratted them all out to the mob, and she's on on the phone with her mother. And she's like, oh, tis but a flesh wound, I'll, you know. I'll be fine. And she gets into the elevator with the salesman. And he's like dressed as a doctor. And he offers her a cigarette by name. Yeah, he knows her name. He goes, turn the right corner in Sin City. And you can find anything. Becky. Care for a smoke? Love you too, Mom. Anything. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Is it? He's re- Is it it? He's literally reaching his hands across the way trying to strangle me. Is it over? Is it fucking over? So, you know, I won't belabor the point. <laughs> I don't think that there's a lot to talk about with this movie. No, guys, I'm, I, listen, I'm not sorry I saw the film. I, I just, like, it, and, and, you know, I think this is a good way to kick things off, but, like, it's a, it's beautifully done, the film is. The cinematography mixed with the writing, like, I love all of that. The thing is, I feel like I would enjoy it more reading the graphic novel. No, 
honestly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because it, because like, then it's like, okay, this is supposed to be cartoonish. And I mean, like, guys, I'm not saying that I, obviously there are cartoon films. I'm not saying I can't take <laughs> animated shit seriously. But like, this is just such a beautiful mesh of live action and animation. I think that's one of the reasons I really love this movie. This is, is Robert Rodriguez. This is his genius. This is Robert Rodriguez's genius and the magic of movie making making a really wild, fun... I don't know if I'd say fun. I mean, when I was a teenager, I used to think this film was just a fun-ass romp. Like, this is just a weird amalgamation of eloquence in writing and just foolassery. I know. Like, it just... I, I really cannot stop laughing at the image of Mickey Rourke dragging that man along <laughs> the pavement as he's going 80 miles an hour. Like, I just, I just... Like, it has its moments. It has really great moments. But then most of it, I'm just like, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I have a headache and I'm uninterested. You're like, supposed to be uncomfortable. Happy birthday month, Carrie! <laughs> what more do you have to say about the film? I mean, hey... What did it give to you at that age when you were enjoying it for the first time? I just... I was really starting to get into graphic novels and, like, cult movies at that time. Of course. That's around the same time I saw Rocky Horror for the first time. Uh-huh, That's, uh-huh. It was the same time I saw Repo the Genetic Opera for the first time. Guys, remember when we did Repo? I had similar reactions. Yeah, they came out in like 06, right? 08. 08, yeah. The, like, yeah. Movies all in that frame of time where... Uh, 04 to 08 was really an awakening for you, wasn't it? I was really getting into movies, and that was just one of the first movies that I had a newfound, completely unique love for. I love all the cartoonish violence. Of course, of course. Like, I just, I am I am sim- simultaneously somebody who can be horrified by violence and also be like, ha, 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 look at that guy! That guy got the top of his head chopped off! Look at that! See, like, I would say, like, maybe if I saw this when I was younger to begin with, like maybe- I might have a different impression of it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I really don't think so. Because I did not like shit like that when I was that age. So, like, this has just been a new experience for me. Hey, but you've been a real good sport about it. I've been kind of okay throughout this. You've been a better sport today than you were during the Slither episode last year, I'll tell you that. Honey, you were assaulting me. Like, you were assaulting my eyes by requiring that viewing for this podcast. Oh, my God. That was a crime. Guys, go back and, and listen to that. you paid your due. <laughs> you sat in jail for it. I did. And I still love you. <laughs> Thank you. I still love you. Thank even you. though you made me watch Slither. <laughs> well, check in with me at the end of the month. We'll see if you still love me then. you are, g- give yourself a little uh, little clap, little round of applause for Carrie Ann. Yay! Because Carrie Ann does a lot for this show. She does actually the most for this show. <laughs> Ca- without Carrie Ann, we wouldn't, you wouldn't have this show. <laughs> she does all the, she does most of the editing, most of the downloading and 
cropping together, and I don't know how she does it. She's an amazing talent. I, I, I love the content that she puts out for y'all, and I'm glad I get to do it with you. So happy, birth, happy birthday month to you, my lovely darling twin who is four years older than me. Oh, I love you so much. And thank you for everything you do for me. It's been a really rough summer. <laughs> You have been there for me every step of the way, well, and I very much appreciate it. Just try to remember those lovely thoughts when I'm putting you through these ridiculous and cartoonishly graphic movies this month, okay? Okay, so with that, why don't you tell the folks what we're going to be covering next week? Guys, I have been waiting to cover this forever! Oh, here we go. Oh my god! Here we go, she's trembling. <laughs> she's trembling! I'm foaming at the mouth. Alright guys, so next week, we will be covering Quentin Tarantino's saga of Kill Bill. Volumes 1 and 2. We're doing both of them, guys, back to back. Be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to hear how mad Carrie Ann's going to make me this month. <laughs> More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom. Gracias, 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 gracias.